Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Welcome to the Bike Rider Podcast, brought to you by the team behind BikeRider.com, Cycling Plus, and MBUK magazines. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe. And if you can do so, leave us a rating on your podcast provider of choice. It really helps us reach other cyclists like you. Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar podcast. I'm Ashley Quinlan, Senior Road Technical Editor here at Bike Radar, and today I'm joined by my fellow Senior Road Tech Head, Warren Rossiter, for our final edition of our series covering road bike frame materials. Warren, how are you? I'm very good, thanks, mate. What have you been up to recently? Uh, Riding a lot in the rain. I've got some very high-end gravel bikes that I am pitching head-to-head, but at the minute I'm just basically making them muddy. I'm finding out very little. But I'm looking forward. I'm heading out to sunnier climbs today to ride a brand new bike, um, which will give me a chance to dry out. That'll be nice. <laughs> well, we're under a bit of time pressure. I mean, the time pressure will have passed by the time this goes, uh, this gets published. But uh, but yeah, we're under a bit of time pressure here, aren't we? We've got to record something in about 45 minutes, probably. Yes, because then I've got to uh, make a dash to the airport. So. so, okay, well, we better crack on then. But look, I'm... I'm you didn't ask me how how if I've been riding anything, oh, but I, no, it's absolutely fine. I'm I'm going to tell you anyway. Um, you're absolutely right. It has been a bit wet, windy, and horrible here recently. But I've been getting some miles in on a on a couple of um, key new bikes. Got a, a a Ribble Ultra SL currently on the t- on test, and I've also got a set of uh, Shimano. Uh, 105 spec, um, I believe the RS710 wheels um, on my Fairlight at the moment. And uh, yeah, looking forward to writing up those reviews. That's interesting. You're riding in something carbon and something steel, which... Uh, it's a nice mix, I have to say. It bring, uh, brings us back to... Yeah, it does. Brings us to brings us to uh, you know, road frames, doesn't it, for sure. But uh, yeah, so today, uh, you know, we're, we're just going to talk about some of the materials we might not necessarily have uh, covered um, in our previous four. Now, if you, you know, four podcasts. Now, if you haven't uh, listened to any of those podcasts, uh, we've we've talked to uh, uh, Jake Pantone at Envy about carbon frames. We've talked to Chris Deluzio at Specialized about alloy frames. Uh, we've also spoken to John Caravo at Moots. Um, I'm pretty sure I pronounced his name wrong again there, but Forgive me, John, if you are listening. We talked to him about titanium, and uh, and uh, Tom Ritchie. Uh, I believe that podcast has just gone live, so you can uh, scroll back and uh, and check that one out. Talking about steel, um, but there are many other sort of smaller, lesser used materials out there, aren't there, Warren? Yeah, yeah, most definitely. You know, um, some in the past have had a lot of press, some not quite so much, some are resurging, you know. So, you know, I, I think first off, you know, as, as you know, aluminium, titanium, steel are all basically alloys. Let's talk about some other alloys that there are out there that, that you know, may have heard of, um, may recall from, from way back. I mean, first one, I would say scandium. Um, made a huge splash back when aluminium ruled the world. Um, but it's... Not a frame made purely from scandium. It's just a titanium isn't neither, you know, is aluminium. You know, they're all alloyed with other metals. Yeah. Scandium, it, it's another one of those materials that came out of the Cold War, you know, like titanium. Um, and it came from USSR controlled 
Ukrainian mines, which obviously seems a bit timely. And Scandium added to a standard 7005 series aluminium alloy um, overcomes some of 7000's weaknesses. Um, That being once it's heated and welded, it becomes really brittle. Yeah. Um, Adding a small amount of Scandium to the alloy, it it sort of vastly increases the strength and makes it much more resilient to cracking. So you'd think, well, it's ideal to put into, into a bike frame, as it were. Mm-hmm. And Scandium bikes came with a really big selling point, and they also came with a real premium over standard aluminium. Um, Scandium is quite an expensive metal. But most other alloys, it became less popular as carbon took over. Scandium hasn't really disappeared. In fact, um, it's still used in quite a lot of modern high-end alloys. Um, it's just not marketed as that material in its own right. Yeah. And probably never should have been. You know, It's more an enhanced aluminium alloy rather than a separate material. Yeah. Um, it did result in some great bikes, though. You know, I remember Kona's top end cross bike, the Major Jake in Scandium, was like a particularly special ride. Really, you know, astonishingly good. And you can still find Scandium alloy um, frames and back and bikes. In fact, you know, Custom Builders Spoon um, recently launched a Scandium option. Kinesis here in the UK have the brilliant RTD made from a Scandium alloy, and um, even like Italian cyclocross legends Alan, um, they've got a Scandium gravel bike in their range. Yeah, and I mean, just very basic question. I'm going to pick your brains a little bit here. You know, is it stiffer as well as being stronger or lighter? Do, what kind of ride? Ride. It's a bit difficult. It's what, a bit difficult to actually sort of quantify because all it basically did is made the inherent quality of the frame that bit better. It just made it less prone to cracking at the weld, less prone to damage. Yeah. Um, but because Scandium was seen as the premium alloy, it tended to come on the premium bikes. So yes. relating it against just a standard aluminium bike is really quite difficult mm. because it tended to come on better equipped bikes, better designed bikes, etc. You know, it was the premium version of aluminium, effectively. Of the time. Yeah. And what are we talking here, like the 80s and 90s? Yeah, it sort of started appearing in the late 80s, yeah. you know, right through the 90s. I mean, it was sort of like the, almost like the pinnacle of aluminium frames before carbon took over. Mm. You know, even to the point where when we first started seeing carbon arrive on bikes, we had like carbon back ends, mm. you know, on those higher end bikes, you know, the front end was Scandium. Yes. You know, and I think, you know, quite a lot of the big Italian brands sort of went down that route, you know. Um, so it was just the premium aluminium alloy out there. And now it's really good that you can actually find it on bikes like the Kinesis RTD, which is, isn't a super expensive bike, you know, yeah. not a super expensive frame set. So that's a really good place where tech has trickled down, yes. as it were. Yeah, you know. and has it has it been superseded since by by other alloys? Has alloy technology moved on in in, in your view, or is it? No, not is really. It, is I mean, it just Scandium just never really hit it off, even if it was seen as a premium material at one time. I think I think basically it's just as I say, a lot of higher end aluminium bikes out there are probably a Scandium alloy. It's just that that it's not seen as the thing that you market anymore. Mm. You know, so I mean, lots of the you know the big brands that use their own proprietary tubing. You know, I talk like specialized with with the alloy, Cannondale with the CADs. They don't specify what that aluminium actually is. So it could no. be, it you know, it could be, have a scandium element to to the alloy that they use. Yeah, it's just it's not seen as the thing that you shout about anymore. No, sounds like a missed opportunity. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody sort of resurrects it. I mean, Spoon did a little bit with you know announcing that they're they're making you know they can do these beautiful bespoke bikes. And they they did make a thing of that you know we're making this out of Scandium yeah yeah so I mean it's it's kind of yeah it'd be ripe to be rediscovered I guess well, well 
Yeah. We've uh, well soon. You'll be listening to a podcast where we talk about uh, if you haven't already, we'll be talking about our road tech predictions, and maybe Scandium will come up in that at some point. Maybe for the next five years. Let's not say it happened this year. But I think um, you know the ne- next alloy that I wanted to mention, um, yeah. magnesium. Yes, um, that is something that um, has seen a, a bit of a resurgence recently. Mm. And like Scandium, it was touted as a superior material to both steel and, and aluminium alloy. You know, arguably he started right back in the 80s with an engineer called Frank Kirk. Then he was working at the Ford plant in Dagenham. Wow. And rumours are that the inspiration for the Kirk's I-beam cross-section radical-looking bike frame, I mean, it's really worth Googling um, Kirk precision if if you don't know what I'm talking about. But the idea that that the inspiration for for this really mad looking frame actually came from the castings used in the bumpers, that's fenders, um, yes. in the European Fortiera. Wow. <laughs> well, my my parents used to have one of those. So yeah, it took me to school on it. You know, and um, like those bumpers, um, the Kirk Precision um, was cast too. Yes. The claims around magnesium were, there, were that it's one of the lightest metals per volume around. Um, it's also it's less rigid than steel, and therefore a good compliant material to make a bike frame from. It's also one of the most eco friendly materials to extract. Right. Uh, allegedly. Yeah. Kirk claimed that a cubic metre of seawater contained enough magnesium to make a bike frame. That feels like a stretch. Yeah. But obviously there's a huge amount of energy that would be needed to yes. to extract that, but not quite as much as there would be from mining it as it, you know. Yeah. So And bearing in mind it's an alloy, so we're taking small amounts yes, of, of, and then of alloying the it to a metal, yeah, yeah. It's not like you're going and take you know, magnesium sulfate or you know you remember your school experiments we used to set yeah. a light to it and it used to shine brighter than the sun it's not quite like that even no. though people like to joke about it right yeah. yeah i mean the downsides and they are quite major i want it's extremely flammable so it requires plenty of care in manufacturing um and it's also prone to corrosion if it's left untreated so it requires a lot of anti-corrosion treatments and and really like top quality paint you yeah. know is one of those things i mean the coat precision it yeah. even made it to the tour you know, um, and they are mad looking. You know, you if you look at the pictures of um, Phil Anderson and others from TVM mm. in like 1992, it, it just looks. You know, uh, it's one of those bikes that would have been outlawed when the UCI rules came in. Yeah. You know, uh, but it just mad to think of of that bike being ridden then. However, the problem with the Kirk was it had a reputation for corrosion and pretty poor build quality. And Kirk as a brand, it sort of disappeared by the mid 90s. But I remember, you know, back back then in those sort of early 90s, there were a fair few around and. It was quite a, a mad-looking thing. It was, yeah. you know, and, and then talking about magnesium, um, you know, Italian race legends Pinarello, they they doubled magnesium back in 2004. Yeah. There was a magnesium alloy um, frame dogma. Google uh, that if you haven't seen it. Yeah. Um, you know, most of their rivals were using aluminium or bimaterial frames combining yeah. aluminium and carbon. So, you know, magnesium hasn't gone away, however. Um, it's some bikes I've been testing recently. British folding e-bike brand, um, My Rider. They make um, their single spar frame um, of their one bike um, in cast magnesium alloy, and they do pay particular attention to anti-corrosion treatments and quality paints, etc. Yep. And then at the performance end of things, you've got Vast and their use of super magnesium tubing. That tube is produced by A-Lite in, in the US, and it was originally for the world of defense and aviation, like most of these metals that you find on bikes sure. seem to originate from. Yep. Vast and A-Lite claim that this new alloy is lighter than aluminium, steel and titanium plus it's stronger than steel and aluminium to boot it's also more corrosion resistant than aluminium and steel as well allegedly um, plus if you're concerned about the carbon footprint then vast state that these magnesium alloys use 40 percent less energy than traditional aluminium or steel frames and unlike carbon the, the mag alloy is 100 percent recyclable 
too. Yeah. And I've ridden their, you know, their gravel bike, the A1. Uh, yes. And I was even really impressed with it. I was really impressed with it. It, it rides unlike traditional aluminium. There's something there, you know, this is the manipulation and the, and the design of those tubes. It has got a ride that's a bit more akin to steel or even even tie. You know, the bike's yeah. got a bit of life. It's got a bit of, bit of um, you know, quite often super stiff aluminium bikes have a bit of reputation feeling a little bit dead. Yeah. But the the vast did feel quite quite lively, quite, you know. Mm. Uh, quite agile. I was I was impressed with it. So yeah, and so it all sounds really amazing. What's the downside if there if there is one? Why 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 do we only see this? You know, mag- it being made by say this you know vast and you know. Allied. I think I find magnesium magnesium castings are used a hell of a lot in in other industry. Mm-hmm. It's just actually being made into tube sets is is relatively recent. Yeah. You know, um, as so I say, it's kind I, of undiscovered, I, I, really. Sort of, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it takes us back to when we were talking to, you know, talking to the guys about all the different materials. It's kind of like one of those things where, you know, Chris Chris Deluzio, when he was chatting about alloys, you know, he he was absolutely sure there's a, a bright future for for aluminium alloys or or you know similar alloys to that. You know, and I think it's these kind of metallurgy developments that that may be coming from other places you know from 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 aerospace from automotive from you know more heavier industries etc i i think you know i think um aluminium is certainly not going away and these aluminiums alloyed with things like magnesium like yeah. scandium etc uh, i do think they have quite a bright future because I can't see carbon getting any cheaper anytime soon it's an no. oil derivative isn't it so yes yeah there are always going to be pressures on pricing for the raw material Yes, yeah, it seems likely. So, you know, what's the key then? If if what do you think is the key for for brands if they're looking at, you know, scandium or magnesium as a general, you know, as a material they might want to consider using or consider marketing? What's what's the key to making it appeal to, you know, our listeners who are listening to us right now and thinking, well, I don't really need a I've got I know I know what the playing field I'm playing on. I've got carbon, I've got titanium, I've yeah. got al- you know, aluminium and I've got steel. I mean, I don't need anything else to choose from. What's the key, do you think? Well, I think it's the key is that it's not that it's considered another material. Yep. It's considered an improvement on an existing material. Mm. So, I mean, the thing like, you know, the Vast, you know, I said it was about performance bikes, but that Vast isn't an expensive bike. So it's bringing improved physical benefits of those materials into price points, which is going to upset the apple cart a little bit, you know. Yeah. And it, it, you know, you already see it now with the, you know, proper, good, top quality aluminium frames, you know, yeah. like they're, like they're, Specialized alloy sprint like the CAD um, from Cannondale. I would argue that they are better bikes than the equivalently priced carbon budget carbon frame. I think it's been the case for for yeah. a while as well, isn't it? And yeah. Yeah. if they can enhance those metals even further, then yeah, you're bringing you know you're bringing bigger benefits to it. And not everybody is looking for you know a pro tour level carbon fiber bike. You know, no, of course. If they did, then. You know, Tom Ritchie wouldn't still be making beautiful steel bikes, would he? So no, that's true. So it's um, I I think there's definitely something in it. You know, yeah. Well, we shall we shall look with interest. We'll look with interest now. Let's move it on to something a little bit different. I'm going to say one word to you, Roz. Thermoplastics. Tell me about it. Yeah, thermoplastics is a weird one. They have such a mixed success in bikes. I mean, I first remember seeing like a plastic bike like back in the eighties, and that's a that was a legendary failure. Um, it was called the Itera. Yeah. Um, it was a Swedish creation, and I would say it's probably the opposite of the legendary 
reputation you have in Scandinavian design. It's not a performance bike at all. It had an urban design, and the frame, the bars, the wheels were all made from an injection-molded thermoplastic. Yep. Um, the theory that it will be lightweight, no corrosion, and totally consistent production is all valid you know, and, yep. and admirable um, ideals for it. But it ended up not that. It was really expensive, but that wasn't the biggest problem over. The major issue was just how flexible this thing was. You know, back in my earliest days in working in bikes, um, we had one in for a feature on bike design mm. and found that a bit of waiting on one pedal and then sort of popping, you know, skateboard ollie style. Yes, um, yeah. You could launch the bike sideways. Interesting. Which is an interesting you know, thing. Um, uh, is a particular uh, legendary mountain bike journalist, um, Paul Smithy Smith, you know, one of my best friends. He was particularly adept at this. Yeah. He could launch that bike up curbs sideways mm. and up steps. You know, I think the biggest he did was our old office in Bath where he managed to get it up four steps and into the office door whilst riding parallel. Yeah. Uh, just by, you know, flick, flexing and waiting it. I mean, it was just ghastly in yeah. that respect. The Itera it is known as one of Sweden's, Sweden's biggest design failures. And, you know, there's apocryphal stories of hundreds of unsold bikes basically being buried. No. Apparently, though, um, it did so rather well in the Caribbean to hotels looking for... Uh, for rentals for guests because yeah. they wouldn't rust in the you know seawater salty atmospheres. Mm. Now, on the flip side of that, you know GT experimented with thermoplastics as well. Um, back in '98, they had the full suspension GT STS. You know, mm. if you're a rider of my age, etc., it's it was a dream bike. It was a fabulous looking thing. Um, carbon had started to appear on bikes, and it was becoming you know more prevalent. Though the perception was that carbon was pretty fragile, um, and its st- stiffness would go off. Yeah. Um, you know, totally, really unfounded when you think about it now. Um, on the road, it's lightness, you know, worn out cynics. Um, but mountain bikers, who are usually so much more accepting of new tech than, than roadies, um, mm, mm, mm. were really cautious about, about carbon. So GT's thinking around using a thermoplastic that was by using aluminium throughout all the suspension parts. And yeah. In fact, the whole back end. They could use lightweight thermoplastic for the main tubes. Um, and it was also claimed that unlike carbon, thermoplastic is repairable. Mm. Though... I can't ever recall hearing about one ever being fixed. Put that down to being a claim, but <laughs> yeah. was it successful? Because, like, you know, if I'm listening to this podcast now, I'm thinking to myself, hmm, I want a bike made of plastic. Interesting. That's like the milk tray. That's like making yeah. out a milk tray. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, the thermoplastic GT was really, really successful. Yeah. Um, you know, British mountain bike legend Steve Pete uh, secured his Hall of Fame status on various thermoplastic GTs from the STS to the LTS downhill. And, you know, probably one of the most legendary mountain bikers ever, yeah, Frenchman, Nico Voulet, won the 96 World Champs in Cairns um, on board a thermoplastic LTS downhill. Yeah. And so that that kind of really, really proved it, which is a real shame. You know, GT don't have anything like thermoplastic in their range anymore. Mm. Um, you know, they have gone through uh, changes of ownership and, mm. and lots of different things since then. So there could be a break in you know, any kind of R&D that was going on there. But then, you know, in their carbon-grade gravel frame, that does blend materials like, you know, many thermoplastic processes. With the seat stays on the grade are made from a glass-reinforced thermoplastic um, as it's loads more compliant and more flexible than carbon. Mm. So they, they've, you know, they've almost created like a soft-tail gravel bike mm. without any need for pivots or, or complexities of suspension. Yeah. And to take it forward, you know, a little bit further as well, you can also get... I believe you can also get like shoe, you know, shoe soles that are made of like yeah. thermoplastic resins and and so on that just, yeah. you know, offer you as much stiffness as you'd ever need underneath your foot, mm. you know, underneath your feet. Unless unless you're you know a 
maybe like you and I, when we're testing bikes on, we need something a little bit stiffer. But you know, for 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 general person who wants specific shoes for their for their cycling, yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, you know, today we don't see thermoplastics in top end bikes. No, um, no, not at all, do we? You know, we've seen a few outliers like the crowdfunded Superstrata. That's all I sound like. Yep. Starling um, announced a, a thermoplastic frame in 2022, and there's a few e-bikes that seem to be cropping up. Um, yeah. Made of thermoplastics. They do seem to be something for the future. Um, still, as thermoplastic-based frames are said to be much tougher than you know epoxy-based carbon, can resist impact damage better due to the you know the increased sort of plasticity of the material, as it were. Yeah. Plus, a thermoplastic frame is more repairable than traditional carbon fiber. Mm. You know, as the cure, curing process in carbon fiber is really hard to reverse. You know, it's yes, of, you're layering upon layer upon yeah. layer and baking it together, aren't you? And whereas you know, when you you read about some of the thermoplastics not necessarily used in bikes, and they they're talking about where it can be reformed mm. with heat. You know, it's particularly found on uh, you know a lot of modern cars. You know, instead of using metal body panels, they're using thermoplastic panels. And then when yeah. you when you have a bit of a ding, just a bit of heat, pop it back into shape. Respray, you're good. Although I would say, you know, thermoplastics, a bit like carbon, it's quite difficult to recycle. So, yeah. But I do, I do think this is where we will see a lot more R&D, a lot more advancement coming on, especially as it's, you know, mentioned previously, I don't see carbon fiber getting cheaper anytime soon. No, because you see, thermo, you know, thermoplastics being an avenue for 3D printing to move through. Is is that, do, do, do the two technologies marry up? I think maybe in the case of the 3D printer could make the, basic form and then applying heat into a molded section to you know yeah. almost making like yeah. um you know like it yeah yeah like a, a way to pre-shape raw material before yes. it's it's finished etc but then you know moving on sort of from thermoplastics mm. as a viable alternative to carbon fiber you know because we're not dealing in tubes and, and ways of connecting tubes um i probably say everything flax is probably the next an interesting one, right? Flax seed is what I add to my porridge, so so you're gonna yeah. you're gonna have yeah. to you have to work well, with me on this. Yeah, well, this flax fiber, so it's you know it's not the seed, it's the it's the actual plant. Um, and, you know, flax fibers have been used for decades to make rope, linen, you know, lots of lots of textiles. But um, you know, again, back in 2008, Johan Musea, you know, the Belgian classic legend, legend, absolutely. Yep. You know, um, he launched his own you know upon obviously named bike brand and the bikes were designed to take on the cobbles mm-hmm. um and their frames built of a hybrid between carbon and flax fibers you, you can know, see like, where this is going right? yeah and so on the top end one was you know it was 50 percent carbon 50 percent flax and it that was the most compliant one you know the claim is that the flax fibers um inherently absorb vibration okay I, i'm yeah. not sure how I, I i don't i you know but that that's the claim that were made yeah you know uh, and on those bikes you know the flax was made in belgium the, the you know the raw woven material shipped out to italy and then handmade in italy by i think it was Bellato. you know so these were super high-end lovely frames yeah and it was actually quite a nice bike to ride you know it yeah. really really was you know back then the two watchwords of any kind of pro level bike it was stiffness and weight that's the priority of everything else you know it was yeah. kind of you almost were you almost see it was ingrained that you you should suffer a bit it should be a bit uncomfortable because that's the trade-off of it being really, really light and really, really stiff. Yeah, that's that would be familiar to many yeah. of our listeners and me myself included. Yeah, yeah. And so I remember, you know, getting getting on board the Museo MF1 and just being surprised at how much smoother it was than most most bikes out there. Mm. So there seemed to be something in it. You know, sadly the Museo didn't last that long. You know, the bikes were super expensive; they were quite yeah. difficult to get hold of. And I I also wonder whether the market was quite ready for bikes that were almost more prioritizing comfort and compliance over yeah. out and out stiffness yeah i mean it, it wasn't long until we had things like the roubaix and mm. you know and then latterly the domani which completely changed the game on that 
on that side of things. But yes. it, it's almost like did it did it happen too too soon? You know, flax is still being used in bikes. Most recently, it's a British company called Hummingbird who who make a like the world's lightest folding bike. That's right. And they're using the flax composite monocoque for for their kind of single spar frame. Yeah. And that is actually being built by um, ProDrive, the motorsport engineers. You know, yes. They're, they're the guys that built the. Subaru World Rally car yeah. that you'd know from the yeah. days of Colin McRae if you're into motor racing. Exactly, yeah, yeah. That's um, another podcast. That's another podcast. We can cover that another <laughs> yeah. time. And, um, you know, they've been using flax composites in for years now in, in um, for the bodies, for, for their for their race cars. I mean, that was down to meeting new greener regs yes. um, for, you know, for motorsport. And so that's really interesting, sort of early doors in, in that kind of, kind of mm. tech. You know, it's like whether it goes down the Misera route of supplementing carbon fibre to use less of less carbon, more more of this kind of arguably more sustainable material because mm. you can just grow more. And it is, you know, arguably a byproduct of the seed. So so I'd expect, you know, as oil prices continue to rise and carbon becomes more expensive, we will see more ex- investigation into materials like flax and other potentially sustainable material. Yeah, well, it's the renewable angle here as well. That, yeah. That, I mean, was probably... If we if we go back to say to that back to two thousand eight when Museo launched launched his bike, you know, the world wasn't really ready for that kind. Of, we were talking already about global warming and so on, but we weren't really pushing as hard as we are now for new renewable sources of energy and so on. Yeah, just as we are right now. And I just wonder if it did come a little bit too soon. And you know, you've, it's also it's also an interesting one because I suppose marketing a plant. We're going to get onto another one in a moment, yeah. but marketing a plant as uh, something that you can then ride on your bike frame, so that you want to be stiff and strong and and light, and you think of trees being kind of wavy things that grow leaves and so on, or you exactly, know, and they're organic, and so you think you think where's the? You might not think this consciously, but subconsciously, I I I guess I'm thinking, you know, where's the where's the standardization? But there's a lot of processing that goes goes on in all this, right? So it, theoretically, it's an avenue that could be explored. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. And I think it's one of those things that when you see these great big leaps in tech, mm. you know, as I think John at Moots was kind of alluding to with titanium, yeah. you know, all coming from from cold water development and things like that. You know, when when there's kind of pressures much bigger than the little world of cycling, you'll see these big advances in tech. Mm. And so I fully expect that these more renewable materials from more organic sources, we're going to see more and more investigation, more and more research into these as the gigantic industries of the world are, are looking for viable mm. alternatives to metal, to carbon, to... And so, so you know, I think materials like flax are probably still one to watch. Yeah. I've, I've, it's, we'll, get, we'll get a little bit off topic here, but I love to point out that, you know, and many people may know this, but, you know, Velcro, for example, is something we take, you know, for granted. Mm. Um, even on my saddlebag, for example, I take it for granted. You know, it was, it was invented specifically for the Apollo space program so that astronauts could attach things to the side of the spacecraft and, and it wouldn't float around the cabin. I mean, it's, it's when we push the vanguard somewhere where there's massive funding and a massive, humanitarian is the wrong word, but a massive push behind development that we start to see these developments then get, get then applied to you know, other places in the world. So I, I wonder, I hope, I hope we'll see something similar for that will come, trickle down to bike. I mean, you know, if, if it happens, then, you know, got to market that thing properly and then we'll, you know. <laughs> yeah, definitely. definitely. New super material. But no, I said we were going to move on to something else and let's talk about it. Wood and bamboo. Come on. I, why should I ride a wood and bamboo bike? I you know this is a quite of a 
this is a tricky one. I have ridden a few over the years. There's quite a lot of sort of artisanal wood and bamboo bikes have been available for many years. And most that I've ridden have uh, actually been pretty good. Have you ever been to Bespoke Show? At, uh, yeah. in, in, uh, it was in Bristol. It's now in London, isn't yeah. it? It moved it to Alex- is Alexandra Palace. Or have, I got, yeah. have I got that? My wires crossed. Uh, there, Bespoke Show is a place where you can go and see, in the UK at least, you can go and see a range of like uh, unique and beautifully designed bikes. And I've seen a you know wood and bamboo frames appear there. But go, tell me, tell me about wood and bamboo. Well, you know, you have to take that with a, you know, I said they've been pretty good. You have to take that with a caveat of, you know, what do you expect from a bike that's been made from shoots sure. or timber? Yep. Um, bamboo's an interesting one. As most of the bamboo bikes uh, I've ridden, most that are actually out there, um, just use bamboo for the tubes. And then they have like composite lugs, mm. which kind of harks back to the original steel bike construction. Yeah, you know, you just and had carbon, a, you had a, you had a well. and, yeah, you yeah. just you know you had a tube, you plugged it into a, you know, you, you you plugged it into a lug to make up a frame. I mean, it's great that you end up with something different and, and truly unique. Yeah, and you know, and if you try someone like the there's the Bamboo Bicycle Club, you can go on a day course and make your own frame under under their instruction. Or if you're more comf- you know, sort of confident, you can actually order a DIY kit and make your frame at home. Mm. And, you know, I've ridden, as I say, I've ridden a few bamboo bikes over the years and and came away sort of like, I think, you know, it doesn't do anything untoward. It doesn't do anything it shouldn't. They look a bit funky. Um, different. Different, but I definitely think it's a place for that. Mm. Um, you know, when you go for wood, there have been a few kind of plywood-based designs floating around in that kind of urban space. And they always look kind of, kind of fun. Although, you know, there are a few out there where it looks like you're, you know, you're riding an unmade wardrobe from Ikea. Yes. But there are, you know, a few that do it different. There's one that, you know, you I, call I, out? I definitely want to call about. Yeah, and that's yeah, yeah. that's tw- Twumper Cycles. Um, they're based in South we- Southeast Wales over in the UK. Made by a guy called um, Andy Dix and his business partner, Miguel. You know, Andy's background is in sort of beautiful high-end bespoke furniture. Yep. He's a carpenter. Uh, well, oh, that, he, he, was actually, he was actually originally he was um, an industrial and aerospace engineer, I think. Okay, and then he sort of fell into what was his hobby mm. and started making more money out of that and having a better lifestyle, I sure, guess. Sure. And then you know his partner Miguel is like a, a proper whiz at kind of you know modern high end production methods. We're talking like CNC and you know computer controlled you know manufacturing, and they've they have come together in this like really mad marriage of kind of traditional and tech. Um, so Andy selects all the ash wood that are used and prepared um, at a local sawmill that's like four four miles from his from his um, his workshop. Um, and then he he'll he'll machine those into the kind of the raw shapes after mm-hmm. selecting and and everything. And then they go off to Miguel at his, his you know his industrial unit and they're they're basically then machined down into this like complex kind of jigsaw like pattern of mm. of of these like slithers of wood. Um, and then and they bore them out, don't they? Or no, it's not bored out. It's no? actually it's actually cut. It's like it's like if you imagine putting a frame vertically through like a bacon slicer and just oh, yeah. slice into thin. So it's like a, a laminate. Oh yes, yeah, okay. But it's all cut completely accurately. So all the effectively the tubes of that they are butted, mm. but they're cut. The individual pieces are are cut and then they're assembled together. Yeah. And so this is like incredibly elaborate way of doing it. You know, I, I I went to see Andy and, and watching him put put them together and finishing them, and it's an incredible process of like almost like splicing all these veneers together. Yeah, you know, like over twenty separate pieces in a frame. It's all, you know, um, bonded up together and pressed and and left to cure, and then everything is finished by hand. But what I like about it is like you know, if you're a buyer, you get to know everything about you know how that bike was made. Obviously, Andy and, and, and Miguel have, have beautifully 
mm. crafted these things. Um, but you know what estate the wood came from. You know yeah. when the particular tree was felled. It's all traceable. It's all totally traceable. You know, and there's there's something in that. You know, there wasn't I, a ship in sight to make the frame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and it's it, that's the thing. It's all it's all local. You know, it, it's locally done. I mean, it, you know, Andy even said to me, you know, we had one one customer. I think it was a Scandinavian guy who owned a forest, and said, "I'd like like made from my own tree." My own tree, yeah. And so he had to go out and you know walk the forest and go. Well, that would be a particularly good one. Yeah, you know, and then you're dealing with the difference in grain, and then you know, so every bike looks completely individual. I mean, I had one of Andy's Twumper GR1s, which is the gravel bike, for a fair few months on test, um, and it's a really tough bike to describe. Mm. Uh, though it's good, you know. Firstly, it's not like any other material I've ridden. Yeah, it has a characteristics associated with all of them. Explain. It's imp- well, it's impressively <laughs> solid and stiff. You know, like a really good aluminium bike. I mean, it, can, it you know, I had like the kind of ultimate build on it, so it had like a MV gravel fork on the front. And actually, this wood frame matched into this MV gravel fork was really, they felt very, very similar. They felt, mm. you know, they were both singing off the same hymn sheet. But weirdly, it's it's not so stiff like aluminium, mm. yet it's sort of resolutely unmovable, especially side to side laterally. Yeah. But it has this kind of vibration damping quality that's almost like similar to titanium. Yeah. But again, it's a bit different. You know, it's a bit different to that. It's a bit hard to sort of compare them against those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, you're talking uh, about something entirely different, right? Yeah. I mean, it felt so sort of, it, it coped with vibration so well. It was almost like riding, I've ridden another bike like it that didn't have the benefit of, of some sort of suspension, you know, like a Trek Damani, Canadale Topstone or, mm. or the Roubaix. Mm. But the flip side of it, it was like when you hit like big roots or, or roots or even, you know, you know, jumped it or, you know, did a few drop-offs and things on it. Um, the frame just was this little real kind of solid thunk, mm. you know, when you when you, when you you get that impact. And the only thing I can equate it to is it's like when you hit a cricket ball square in the middle of a willow bat. Oh, yes. When you get that perfect connection and you get that, poof, yeah. it felt like that. <laughs> it's a sort of, you get this sonic response, that, mm. poof, but then there's no reverb. So there's no after. No. It sort of absorbs. Off you go. And off you go. It's weird. It's a really weird feeling bike, but it's a really good one. It's It rides with a sort of unique feel that's almost as unique as the way the bike looks. Now, you know, wood's never going to rival carbon or steel or tie for that matter. It can't, it can't be mass produced yeah. in the same way, right? Yeah. And it, nor should it. Yeah, really, in mass production states. But I would say something like the Twumper. It's, a, it, it's more than a tool for riding. It's something else. It's something a bit special. It's something almost mm. to cherish. Mm. You know, it's a bit, you know... I, I, the, the equivalences that have been made whenever I've you know I've spoken to people about you know again seeing them at a show, and you know chatting to some of the some of the guys on the stand and everything, and they were all sort of trying to equate it to something like the Morgan, you know. Oh yes, the Morgan, wood, uh, the motor car. Yeah, yep. Which is wood framed, traditional British sports kind of thing, and I don't I, I don't know if that's a sort of, it's an obvious comparison, but I don't know if it really holds up because. The Morgan's not made of wood. It's just got yeah, it's got a lot of wood. Yeah, in it's it. got a lot of wood in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I do think you know, I, I really enjoyed riding that bike, and I, I and it was one of those things that's like, for me, it'd be a pure luxury purchase. Yes, but yeah. It, I, there's no way I'd dismiss it because it it did offer something mm. that you're not getting from anywhere else. Yeah, you know, it's almost like a yeah, it's a luxury purchase, but it, it's a. I mean, you could understand someone. Th- th- yeah, you could understand someone worrying that you know are you going to get some sap coming out of it at some point or something along those lines, right? But I imagine they they treat these frames. everything. It, you know, the the extent that they go to is sort of uh, is really really impressive. And I kind of like the idea of it. It's going to age, isn't it? You know, just like furniture yeah. ages. It's going to it's going to depending on how you ride it, where you ride it, uh, etc. It, it's going to you know, things are going to 
happen with that frame. It's just yeah. whether it will enhance the character or not, I don't know. But I'd really be intrigued to find out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. And I mean, that's I mean, they say Ashwood for for this particular vibe, but there's just about bamboo as well. Because bam- are we talking about bamboo as in the actual wood itself, or yeah. you know the bamboo canes yeah. style yeah, thing? Yeah, effectively. Because, yeah. because obviously you can make, you can use bam, you can process bamboo into viscose, which then goes into socks. And no, you, you no, can the, buy, you can yeah. buy textiles yeah, yeah. that are made of yeah. no, no. socks, right? I mean, that's that's a case in point. I mean, I I, I don't know whether the bamboo fiber construction, like they make linens and and socks, etc., yes. out of like they do with flax. Whether that would be something, I've, it's not something I've ever seen. You know, most of the bamboo blocks you see are literally made from mm. you know two three inch thick bamboo canes yeah so yeah i don't know i mean again that's one of those things that you know it could be in the offing that people have got to be looking for alternative things to make woven fibers that can be used in you know stiff construction rather than just cloth all i can confirm is the bamboo canes you've got in your garden they're not strong enough to be able to hold. yeah they're not quite big enough not quite no these are yeah yeah but you know, again, it's really worth it's really worth googling. And if you ever fancied you know making your own frame, this is probably the easiest one of the the bike kits that you can actually frame kits you can actually buy. It's probably the easiest way to do it mm. without having to learn how to weld. You just need to you know yeah be able to apply a bit of epoxy and measure twice, cut once. Yeah, fair enough. And let's finish off with any others and any other tech that's going on out there at the moment. I'm sure 3D printing is yeah. going to rear its head again. Yeah, I mean, it I should, should do. Yeah. But, um, As I said, I'm sure there are loads of other materials out there and I'm sure there'll be more to come. Yeah. But it's, I think it's also how materials are manipulated. You know, and be that 3D printed, you know, like John from Moots, you know, mentioned mm-hmm. that, you know, they the 3D print their dropouts now for the accuracy element of it. And then there's a 3D printed Belide by yeah. Pinarello that's, you know, already taken two world hours records mm-hmm. canyon had a concept 3d printed bike and i'm sure there'll be more much more to come and i wouldn't be surprised to see a return thanks to 3d printing of bikes that look a bit different a bit radical yeah um i'm thinking particularly if there was a bike a few years back called the razic vortex again really worth googling and that was made from a sort of open lattice like combination of tube shapes um mm-hmm. that they called isotrust it's almost like they made a tube out of spider webs um, yeah, it's it's really. You've had you a know. stem recently that looks. That, well, not, yeah. doesn't look exactly. Yeah, the, the, same, yeah, the mythos looks, stem is yeah. is a kind of similar, probably more evolved take on that. You know, but this, you know, the, the the vortex did look like it was designed by Wednesday Adams, and it's a mad, mad looking machine. So that is where I think we'll we'll see we'll see adaptations of materials that already exist, but new ways to to make them and put them together. Whether that's something as cutting edges like the 3D printing, yeah. or even going back to you know when we were talking to Chris uh, Delicio specialized about. You know, the smart weld, which mm. was literally a way of taking one of the oldest forms of joining materials, welding, but making it stronger, more accurate, and easier for less skilled people to do. You know, it's a kind of evolving a process to make it more cost effective when you're stepping away from the raw material. So I think it would, yeah, yeah. I don't think it ever has been, but even though it, they seem so ubiquitous, like you know, the, the one great material. I think that's what we've learned from this series. Is, yeah. You know, that one great material, carbon, isn't the only option out there. No, no, of course. Absolutely yeah. not. You know, and it's great that we've got so much choice. It's even harder to make a decision. But we do our best here at By Radar yeah. to, to advise you. Yeah. But I think, you know, the take home I had from, you know, interviewing all those guys that we spoke about is just how each one of them is so passionate about their own material. Yes. And it's no longer like it used to be. It was. Our material is the best because the other materials are the worst. They, every one of them, had respect for every other material that was being used out there. Mm. They just have their particular favourite. Yeah, and 
And that's great, you know, because you know that these are some really, really talented engineers and they're in the business of pushing the boundaries. So that's great. Yeah. And I think it occurred to me as well that it, it can be very easy to think of, you know, some brands being, you know, large, you know, massive brands that they just build bikes. They're on, they're on a, on a, you know, a, a production line and they come through and there's no personality in them. They're designed to hit certain numbers and yeah. so on. And, and someone has probably looked at it, you know, designed it accordingly. Uh, but ultimately, you've got a bike that's, that's relatively soulless, you might say, although it may ride brilliantly. It's not it's not got anything about it that makes you think, yeah, do you know, that was made with, you know, for want of a better term, made with some love. Mm. And what I sort of, what I've taken from the chats that we've had with all four of our guests was actually how much they care and how much also, you know, how, how much they care about making a, a, you know, a bike or a frame that is, there's better for you know the industry as a whole and and for the individual as well and I just it's it's been really interesting to sort of get to grips with them. Yeah, I think I, that's the other thing as well, isn't it? You know, when you're taking it kind of to almost like the extreme, someone like Tom Ritchie, who's, mm. who's been doing it for so so long, he's as passionate about riding bikes as he's about making them. Yes. and I think that comes across from everybody we spoke to. Mm. You know, fundamentally, they're riders first, and. Mm. If somebody's a rider first, they make things they want to ride. Yes. And that's good for everybody. Mm. You know. So if there is one takeaway we could probably <laughs> take away from all this is if you are in the market for a new bike or, you know, an additional bike to your to your arsenal and you want it to be something special, then read into the backstories of, of the brands and and you know their manufacturing techniques and find something that aligns with what you yeah. what you want even if, even if that's a that's a wooden bike you go ahead and and, and do that because it shouldn't be it shouldn't be poo-pooed in any way no definitely not definitely not yeah i'm just thinking i might get on the phone to andy and see if he's got anything new coming up well there you go quite fancy another ash made bike yeah well if you the... uh if you if, well, if you're listening to this podcast and you uh you do fancy uh reading a review on a on a on, a, on an ash made bike do um not by me, obviously, by uh, you know, by the wood itself. Then do uh, you know, drop a, drop us a comment and let us know, and we'll uh, we'll uh, accelerate that plan. Warren, it's been great talking to you and great showing the uh, showing the stage with you for these last few podcasts. And um, you know, this has been our final episode in the series of road and gravel bike frame materials. Um, we recapped them earlier, uh, who we spoke to and so on. But if you've missed any of those interviews and you do, you are interested, of, or even just listening back again, because there's some real, there's some juicy tidbits in there. I've got my personal favourites. I know Warren, you've got your favourites in there as well. You know the people we spoke to, but uh, it's not for us to tell you which one was best. It's absolutely down to you. If you want to go back and have a look at those, please uh, listen again. Uh, you've got carbon, aluminium, titanium, or steel, all in more detail. Get scrolling back and get listening. If you have any comments or questions, uh, please do get in touch with us um, and send us an email at podcast at bikeradar.com. If it's anything to do with frame materials, we'll jump back in and we'll try and answer those in an upcoming tech Q&A. Or if it's about anything that we've spoken about on the podcast in the last month or so or beyond and you just need some advice and you want us to, you know, get down into your specific situation, then please get in touch with us at podcast at bikeradar.com and we'll do our best to answer those questions. Obviously, we really appreciate your feedback about the pod. It helps us, you know, reach reach listeners like you um, and fellow cyclists. That's it. That's enough of my waffling for now. All that's left for me is to thank Warren very much. Thanks, Ash. It's been fun. And uh, thank you to all four of our guests um, over this series and to Warren today, who's given us lots of insights and who've helped make this series what it's been. So uh, thank you all. Chat soon. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you've not done so already, please subscribe and share with your friends or leave us a rating if you've enjoyed this episode. 